0: Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just wanna make sure you're aware of a few things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks at Hope church LV, and also be sure to check out our website at HopeChurchOnline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're going as a church. Once again, thank you so much for checking out this sermon at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. I don't know about you, but I am thankful for this team that leads us in worship every weekend. Amen. What a blessing that was, and uh, a lot of you know them personally, some of you don't, but what's even more awesome is you watch this team up here lead, if you know them personally, man, it's more real on the inside for them than what comes out on the outside. As great as the quality is, their heart is so genuine, and so, Teddy and the team, we're just grateful, and thank God for the team that he's given us to lead us, amen? How many of you know what this is in my hands? This is a pair of what? Pair of scissors, right? If you can't see it back there in the back, it's a pair of scissors. Remember when you first learned to use a pair of scissors? it was probably for most of us around when we went to kindergarten, right? I know for me, I distinctly remember the first time in kindergarten, they put a pair of scissors in my hand, and I felt like a grown-up, right? For the first time, I had been entrusted with this most basic tool of human civilization, the pair of scissors. Now, usually we also got to get the glue out at that same period of time, and it was never a good combination when you make the glue and the scissors, right? But, but in kindergarten, they taught us how to use scissors. How many of you know how to use a pair of scissors, right? That's right. That's what I thought. Almost all of us. So here's what I need this morning. I need a dad. Since it's Father's Day, I need a volunteer this morning who's a dad who will come up here and help me. Any volunteers? Everybody's getting nervous. I need a dad. All right, here we go. Right over here. Come on. Come on up, Robert. And Patrick's going to come up with you so he can, uh, he's got a microphone here, so he's going to hold that for us. So, Robert, good to see you this morning. This is Robert Epps. And Robert, uh, you, uh, tell us what you do. Uh, Actually, you don't want to see me. I'm at the airport. I'm in security. You see me? a bad thing <laughs> amen amen I, I i unfortunately see you a lot when i'm going through the airport but for good reasons. so uh so robert i'm going to get you to help me this morning you know how to use a pair of scissors right okay so we're going to take this piece of ordinary construction paper and i got a pair of scissors here i'm gonna give you this piece of paper and i want you to cut that piece of paper go ahead well what's but well, go ahead cut that piece of paper What's wrong? We're missing half. Uh, so, so we're, why, we're missing why, half. Oh, so, so why can't you cut? The, go ahead. It's got the, the, both handles are there, right? Yeah, about that. Yeah. <laughs> there's a piece missing. Oh, there's a piece missing. You see what he means? You got both handles, but one of the blades is not there. So you can't cut that paper, right? knife yeah I don't have gonna a knife with him it. that's good because if you're at TSA security you can't carry that through anyway <laughs> hey thank thank Robert for helping me because it's father's day we got a gift for dad here to say thank you Robert thank you very much so <clears throat> Robert made a a very important discovery it is impossible to cut a piece of paper with only one blade on this pair of scissors Unfortunately for many, that is a picture of how they are trying to live the Christian life. And I'm going to explain that, so keep that illustration in mind. For the last four weekends, we have been in a series called Walk This Way. And let me just first of all say that, man, Pastor Scott, Jeff, and Tom have done a fantastic job <laughs> delivering this series. Amen? Amen. I've been able to keep up online and drop in and see what's going on. And what a blessing it's been to hear them unpack the powerful principles that we've been learning here in Ephesians chapter 4. This principle, this series, Walk This Way, we've been examining the new life that we've been called to in Christ. In our journey through Ephesians, if you'll remember the first three and a half chapters of Ephesians, Paul was laying down doctrinal truth about who we are in Christ. And that's very common with the way Paul writes his letters. In almost all of Paul's letters, the first half of the letter is dedicated towards positional, Or doctrinal truth about who we are in Christ. And then the second half or latter stages of his letters are dedicated to unpacking how we now live our lives based upon the truth that he's given us about who we are. First three and a half chapters, Pastor Scott talked about it in the opening week of this series. He let Paul lays down all of this truth about who we are. We're chosen, we're loved, we're adopted, we're accepted we're sealed we're forgiven we're redeemed but then we get to the middle of chapter four and I want you to look back at verse 17 here's what Paul says so this I say now that little word say that word that's the first word in that sentence say it out loud That word so is an important word. In the Greek language, it's a word that denotes what is about to be introduced is a result of what has preceded it. So, Paul is about to introduce something to us based on all that he's just said to us. He just taught us all this truth about who we are in Christ. Now, he gets to verse 17 of chapter 4, and he says, So, now, based on everything I've just told you about who you are in Christ, now, Paul says, I want to teach you something New. Look what he says. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. Paul is reminding us that who we are in Christ should change the way. We live our lives. Paul did not say, now based on how hard you're trying, don't live this way anymore. Paul did not say, based on all the Bible knowledge you now have, don't live this way. Paul said, based on who you are in Christ, don't walk any longer As the Gentiles also walk. Paul reminded us in the first part of this series that we've been in. That our minds before Christ were futile. We didn't think the way God thinks. Our hearts were defiled. We were tainted by sin. Our flesh was in total control and dominated us. But for three and a half chapters, Paul has been teaching us that's not Who you are anymore. Now because of who we are in Christ. It should change the way we live day in and day out. And just like this pair of scissors. There are two very important blades if you will. To living this new life in Christ. There are two important aspects, two important dynamics, and if we don't understand them both, our Christian life will be filled with futility and despondency and defeat. Often, I think a lot of Christians are trying to live the Christian life, like Robert up here just a minute ago was trying to cut this paper. It's impossible. You can't do it. it I mean, Robert could tell us, when you, when, you, when you grab that piece of paper, especially in front of an audience like this, and you go to cut it's a little bit embarrassing. It's frustrating. It's, it's discouraging. Why? Because you've been asked to do something you can't do. That's the way a lot of Christians feel about the Christian life. I'm I'm trying, but it's just not working. And it's not working because we don't understand there are really two dynamics at play, and we got to get them both. The first one is that we must lay aside the old self. Now, this is the one that most Christians understand. Most of us know that as a Christian, I'm not supposed to do some stuff I used to do. And so this is where a lot of Christians spend all of their energy in trying to live the Christian life. And Paul teaches us this in this same chapter. Look down at verse 22. Again, this is a verse the team's already looked at, but I want you to see something else in it. Listen to what it says. That in reference to your former. You know what former means, right? That means the one you used to live. In reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside... The old self. That's one blade of this thing of living the Christian life. That's one dynamic. Laying aside the old self. And don't miss this. Look what he says. Which, read it out loud. Which is? Say that again. One more time. You know what that means? That, that, that word being corrupted in the Greek language is the word that describes something that's spoiling or something being ruined. Where I'm from, they'd say, RUNT. <laughs> you ever go to the grocery store and buy bananas? You know, when you buy those bananas, I'm going to put a picture up here. When you buy those bananas at the grocery store, they just look amazing, right? I mean, they're so firm, and they're so crisp, and the color is so beautiful. But you let those exact same bananas, if it's like my house, we buy bananas with the best of intentions, We genuinely believe we are going to eat those bananas. We're going to be healthy. We're not going to eat that cookie. We're going to eat those bananas. But a few days later, these beautiful bananas look like this. Right? And then you you go throw them in the garbage can like it's toxic waste. You, you, you hold them as far away from your body as you can, hoping nothing oozes out of this spoiled, ruined, burnt banana. That's the picture of this word is being corrupted, and what he's talking about is our flesh. You see, the problem with a lot of Christians is we buy into the lie that the longer we're Christians, the more capable we are to now live the Christian life. You see, one of the reasons we get so disappointed in ourselves when we fail is because we think, man, I've been saved so long. I should be better by now. But you know what our flesh is like? It's like that old banana. Paul says, you got to lay aside your old self, and here's why. It's not getting better. Is being corrupted. That is a present tense Verb. Here's what that means. It's describing an ongoing, continuous action, meaning this. My flesh is not getting better. My flesh is getting worse. My flesh is learning new ways to deceive me, new ways to mislead me, new ways to defraud me. The enemy loves it when the longer we're a Christian, we begin to put confidence in the flesh thinking, oh, I got this beat. I'm I'm surely been saved long enough now that that I don't struggle with that. I can let that boundary go. I can let that barrier away in my life. I I can release my accountability partner in that area. I'm good now. No, we're like that banana. Man, our flesh is getting worse and worse and worse That's why Paul said of himself, I die daily. You see, this thing of laying aside the old self is a daily moment by moment. Why? Because the flesh is being corrupted. The enemy loves to deceive us into thinking that we're now better, but we're not better. We're worse. The only value in us is Christ in us. It's never us. You see, the goal of the Christian life is not to make a better me. Let's just stop for just a minute. We got a little medical emergency. So I want us to just pray. Let's just pray. Let's bow our heads. Father, I pray for this dear sister who was just carried out. Lord, you know exactly what's going on there. Lord, you know exactly what's happening. She's fearfully and wonderfully made. You created her in your image. And God, right now, in the name of Jesus, we pray for healing Right now, in the name of Jesus, would you give this medical team, thank you for those men and women who serve here and use their gifts as volunteers every weekend, often unnoticed, but Lord, always ready and available. God, I pray for their wisdom right now. You'd give them wisdom and discernment as they make decisions and prescribe care. Lord, would you have your way in this moment, all over the building right now, just pray. Let's agree together, ask God to heal, ask God to touch her, ask God to restore her. God, we thank you for what you're about to do. We thank you for how you're already meeting her need. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Now, laying aside the old self is only half the battle. You see, the Christian life is more... Than just not being what I used to be. The Christian life is more than not sinning. And a lot of Christians live their Christian life like this Don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. Let me ask you a question. How's that working out? It's like telling that little 40 year old child not to touch that button, right? Don't touch that button! When you tell that kid not to touch that button, what happens? Everything in that kid now is going to die to touch that button. (laughs) When the emphasis of the Christian life is don't, 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 don't do that anymore. Don't act that way anymore. Don't say that anymore. Don't go there anymore. Don't, don't, don't give into that anymore. It's like trying to cut this construction paper with one blade. Something is missing. Why? Because that's only half the battle. There's another part of this. Paul goes on in verse 24. Look what he says. And put on the what? Say it out loud. New self, which in the likeness of God, don't miss this, say it out loud. All right, one more time. Do you notice something different in the way this is worded versus talking about the old self? The old self is being corrupted what is that present tense it's continuous action our flesh is getting worse but look at this the new self what does it say has you know what that is that's completed action here's what that means it's already done Meaning this, who I am in Christ is already so finished. The Bible says, Paul said in Ephesians, it's as if I'm already seated at the right hand of God. It is done. I don't hope it's going to happen. I've already been made new in Christ. But as long as I'm in this world, God's given me the freedom to choose whether I'm going to live out of my old resources or by faith I'm going to live out of my new resources that have been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Daily as I die to self and by faith lay hold of who I am in Christ, allowing Christ to live in me, I walk the way Christ has called me to walk. It is literally a daily exchange of my life for His. That's why some theologians call it the exchanged life. The Christian life is not me living for Jesus. The Christian life is Jesus living his life in and through me. How does that happen? Moment by moment, God, I turn from my way and by faith, Jesus, I lay hold of who you are in me. And I trust that you will live through me. Listen, it's exactly what Paul described when he wrote in the book of Galatians. Look at Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. You know this verse, but listen to it in light of what we just talked about. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. How? The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Now, I, say it out loud, have been crucified. Past tense, right? Done. But Paul was still alive. What do you mean you have been crucified? His death, when Christ died, he died in our place. Positionally, I've already died in Christ. Christ. But Paul says, I'm still alive, but it's it's not me. Christ didn't just die. He rose again from the dead so that now his life in me is being lived through me. That's the Christian life. Well, Well, how does it happen? By faith. Moment by moment, when there's this temptation to lie, I die to that and say, Lord, that may be who I used to be, but it's not who I am anymore. In this moment, would Christ in me manifest the truth? This battle takes place on the inside. And this exchanged life is the greatest evidence of our salvation. Listen to what John MacArthur said. The only reliable evidence of a person's being saved is not a past experience of receiving Christ. But a present life that reflects Christ. How do I know if I'm a Christian? Oh, did I, did, I, did I understand everything just right 20 years ago? Did I pray the right prayer? Did I hear the right sermon? Was I in the right place? Did I, did I say the right thing? Listen, that's not what you got to wrestle with. Here's what you got to wrestle with is who I am in Christ becoming Christ in me. That's the evidence of genuine faith. That's the evidence. Now, not perfect, not perfection, not arrived, but who I am in Christ becoming Christ in me. Now, we get to the next verse that I want to talk about today. But I needed to get that back on the table for you to understand the next verse. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Paul says, Do not grieve the who? The Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. By whom you were sealed. For the day of redemption. What in the world. Does that mean. Here as Paul writes it in Ephesians chapter 4. Well the word grieve. Is a word that means to cause pain to cause sorrow, to cause mental and emotional distress. The word grieve is a relationship word. Here's what that means. You cannot grieve someone you are not in a relationship with. Look at this. John Phillips writes about this word grieve. Listen to what he said. Grieve is a love word. You cannot grieve someone who does not love you. You might annoy them, upset them, infuriate, or disappoint them, but you cannot grieve him. You can only grieve someone who loves you. Therefore, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. God brought you into a love relationship with Himself through His Son, Jesus. God has placed His Holy Spirit within you. The Spirit of Jesus now lives in you and in me. And it was never God's design to bring us into relationship with Himself and then say to us, all right, give it your best shot. Cut away. It was never his design for us to try to live the Christian life in a way that would please him or honor him. He put the Holy Spirit in us so that rather than in our own strength, we could rely moment by moment on the power of the Holy Spirit in us to manifest the life of Christ through us. And get this, any moment we're choosing to live out of our own resources. Now, this is significant because living out of our own resources doesn't just like overt, doesn't look just like overt disobedience to God's Word. It could also be a self-righteous attempt to try to obey God myself but anytime I choose to live out of my own resources it get this grieves the Holy Spirit let me try to help you understand this Roy Hessian said it this way look at this you see the only life that pleases God And that can be victorious is his life, never our life, no matter how hard we try. The enemy tries to deceive us into thinking that we displease the Father and grieve the Holy Spirit when we try to obey him and fail. That's a lie. What displeases the Father and grieves the Holy Spirit is when we try in our own strength to do the will of God. Our very trying implies we feel the responsibility and the fortitude to try to live this thing called Christianity. Here's what Paul's teaching us. It's time to stop trying and start dying. Dying to self that Christ may live in me. Lord, it's not in my obedience. Aren't we supposed to obey God? Yes, obedience is a fruit of our life, but it's not the focus. The focus is on our love relationship with him. And as we pursue intimacy with him, he produces obedience out of our lives. And what Paul's been teaching us over the last few weeks is what it looks like. We talked about in verse 25, we're to lay aside lying and walk in the truth. Does that mean I'm not supposed to lie and I'm going to try to work hard to be more truthful? No, I'm going to die to the sin, die to the flesh of dishonesty and exaggeration and and lying. And I'm going to trust that Christ in me is going to manifest truth through me. We've talked about over the last few weeks, sinful anger versus renewed anger, stealing versus working, responsibility and generosity, destructive words versus speaking in a way that encourages others. What is all this? It's us recognizing moment by moment in our own lives. Let me me try to make it real practical. So say you're at work tomorrow and somebody asks you about something on the job. And you begin to tell the story of what took place. And you wouldn't lie, but you're going to say it in such a way that makes you look as good as it possibly can. Here's what this looks like. The moment you begin to sense the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God about that narrative. You immediately in that moment run to the name, the Holy Spirit of God in your heart. Nobody will even know this is happening on the outside. But in your heart, there's that moment of, God, I don't want to be dishonest. Lord, dishonesty is who I used to be, but it's not who I am in you anymore. So, Jesus, by your grace, in this moment, would you just manifest truth in and through my life? And as you begin to walk as a Christian, and you begin to perfect what this looks like in your life, these kinds of conversations are going on in your heart, moment by moment, day by day. And victory as a Christian is not, whew, I'm doing better. No, victory is me learning in every moment, in every situation to run to the feet of Jesus. If that makes sense, say amen. So... In the minutes that I have left, I want to show you how Paul finishes this chapter. Look at verse 31 and 32. He gives us one final application of this. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Look what it says. Let all bitterness... And wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice be kind to one another tender-hearted forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you do you see the contrast of these two verses one of them is who I used to be it's describing bitterness and anger and wrath and malice and slander the others who I now am in Christ kind tender-hearted forgiving Left to myself in my own strength, guess what's coming out of me? Bitterness, wrath, anger, malice, slander, clamor. But Christ in me can manifest kindness, tenderheartedness, forgiveness. So so here's the the big idea I want to close with today and ask you two questions and we're done. Here's the big idea. Because of who we are in Christ, we should lay aside wrong wrong ways of relating to others and walk in new and right ways of relating to others. Here's the point. Who we are in Christ should change the way we live in relationships with other people. Jesus in us should change the way we relate to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ and also change the way we relate to those outside the body of Christ. There's a right way and a wrong way to relate to others and it is a big deal. That's why at, Ho- at Hope we say it this way. Following Jesus is all about what? Relationships. Why? Because everything God's brought us into is about rightly relating to others. <clears throat> so, in closing, let me ask you two questions and we're going to be done. Number one, what does it look like to relate wrongly towards others? What does it look like? We'll look back at verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. He gives us six things right there. Six things that are not an all-encompassing list... But a lot of the way we used to relate to other people, right here. Let me give them to you. Bitterness. Bitterness is smoldering resentment. That's a good definition, isn't it? Bitterness. Smoldering resentment. It's a spirit that cherishes resentful feelings. Bitterness is often born out of being wronged by someone or... By the perception of being wronged. Here's what that means. Bitterness can come from somebody wrongs me and I begin to have this smoldering resentment towards them. Or bitterness can come when I think somebody else got what I should have got. And so there's a perceived wrong. They didn't even do anything. They just got something I thought belonged to me. I thought that was my blessing, not theirs. And so there's this smoldering resentment that begins to. It's a bitterness is getting to a place where you really enjoy this smoldering resentment. Second one's wrath. It's kind of the outworking of bitterness. One place translates it as outbursts of anger. In Greek culture, this word was used to describe a flame which came from a straw. A piece of hay or straw or wheat would catch on fire and it would flame up. But as soon as it flamed up, it went out. It's the word for wrath. It's outbursts of anger. It's uncontrolled temper. Moment of personal confession. This is one of the areas where early on in my Christian journey, I confuse this flesh tendency with family characteristic. Here's what I mean by that. I gave myself a hall pass because I said, well, my, family, my, my mom had a temper. My granddad had a temper. My great granddad had a temper. So all us folks, we all got a temper. And first two years of my marriage, it almost cost my marriage. My wife packed her stuff up. I know you know me now as this sweet, gentle, kind. It's hard for you to even fathom. But my wife packed her stuff three times, headed home. First two years of our marriage. Because I had outbursts. Uncontrolled temper. It wasn't until I began to realize that wasn't just a family characteristic. That was a flesh characteristic that Jesus died to set me free from. And I began to moment by moment in those moments when I wanted to just yield that to the control of the Holy Spirit. And listen, I'm not perfect at it. People that know me well know I'm not perfect at it. But I'm telling you, I'm not the man I used to be. But it's something we all got to deal with. Bitterness, wrath. Here's another one, anger. Anger is habitual anger. It's beyond smoldering resentment. It's active emotional hostility, clamor. Clamor is an outcry, it's it's quarreling, it's combative and abusive speech. Slander is wounding someone's reputation by speaking evil of them. It's disrespecting someone with your words. Malice is, is beyond all of these. Malice is when you get to the place you literally wish evil on somebody else. You may not say it out loud, but in your heart, you wish something bad would happen to them. Why don't you look at this list: Apart from Christ, this is who we are. And listen, if you're sitting here thinking, "Oh no, no, no,, not not me." I've been a Christian for so long. The enemy's got you right where he wants you. Because you're trying to cut that paper with one blade of the scissor handle, and it's not going to work. This is who we are apart from Christ. And Listen to what he said. Look at it. Look, look back at verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, slammer, clamor, let all be put away. From you, that that phrase "be put away from you" literally means to pick it up and carry it away. It's the word that they used talking about Jesus when they wanted him to be crucified. They said, "Away with him! Let him be crucified." It has a violent nature to it. It's a it's a picking up the old self and taking it to the cross of Jesus so that it can be crucified with Christ. And look what he said. Let say that word out loud. All. All means the whole, the whole practice of those six things, but also every single instance. Whenever convicted by the Holy Spirit or confronted by a brother or sister in Christ of bitterness, anger, wrath, clamor, slander, malice, I should pick it up and carry it to the feet of Jesus and repent so that Jesus can change the way I relate to other people. But listen. That's still only half the battle. What does it look like to relate in a new and right way towards others? Well, look at verse 31. I'm oh, excuse me, verse 32. What's the first word? Say it out loud. B. First word. First word. What does it say? B. It literally could be translated... Keep on becoming. Why? Because it's already who I am in Christ. But practically, he's working this out in my life day by day. As I carry the old to him and allow him to put it to death in Christ. And by faith, grab a hold of who I already am in Christ. You see, as I lay aside in repentance the old and surrender to Jesus and by faith embraced who I am in Christ I keep on becoming Christ in me and he says here's what it looks like be kind to one another the word kindness means unselfish concern for the welfare of others he says be tender-hearted to one another It's a word that the root of this word comes from the the, the bowels, the the intestines of the, the human being. He's describing, this is kind of the opposite of bitterness, which is an internal smoldering. This is something going on on the inside, but it's an internal yearning to meet the needs of others. And then thirdly, he says, be forgiving toward one another. Forgiveness is overlooking personal wrongs against oneself, perceived or real. Bitterness holds on to the wrongs. Forgiveness lets them go. I want you to think about those two lists: bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice, kindness, tender-heartedness forgiveness here's what the scripture says in moments of relationships when I recognize bitterness anger malice slander wrath glamour what am I to do with that take it to the feet of Jesus surrender it to him by faith lay hold of who I am in Christ and allow Christ in me to begin to live through me in a way that looks like kindness tenderheartedness, and forgiveness now I know what you're probably thinking you're thinking just like me there is no way (laughs) in every relationship in my life I can do this. And that is exactly the truth if you're just swinging one blade of the scissors. If you're just trying hard not to be bitter and to give forgiveness and you're trying hard not to have outbursts of anger, but to be kind. In my effort, let me tell you what often happens. But if I'll allow who I am in Christ to be Christ in me. Listen to what Paul said in another letter. Look at this. I'll close with this verse. Philippians 4. I can do, say it out loud, all things through him who strengthens me. Listen, he didn't call you to do it. He brought you to himself so that he could live through you. And that's the freedom that we have in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, Lord, this morning I pray that you'd take your word and you'd speak to us as only you can. God, in these moments as we bring this to a close, God, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit... Move among us. With nobody looking around right now but me, maybe you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You got religion, but you don't, you don't know him personally. In just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song of worship We have pastors here at the front. You can come to any one of our pastors today. And if you don't know what it means to have a relationship with God and to have Jesus living inside of you, I'm not asking if you got religion. I'm not asking if you got baptized when you were a kid or a baby or whatever. I'm asking, do you have a relationship with Jesus where you can see Jesus now living in and through your life? Not perfection, but the pattern is Jesus. If you don't know that you have a relationship with Jesus today, when we stand to sing, our pastors are here, you come to one of our pastors and... All you got to say is this, I need Jesus. And they'll have somebody sit down with you and open a Bible and show you how you can begin a relationship with Jesus. For others of you this morning that are already a Christian, two things you can do today to respond. We're going to open these altars up. Maybe the Holy Spirit of God's convicted you this morning of some bitterness, some wrath. Some anger, some slander, some clamor, maybe even some malice. When you heard those definitions, the Holy Spirit pierced your heart. Listen, you got a moment right now. Don't grieve him. I want you to come get in one of these altars and just lay it before him. Repent of it and by faith say, Jesus, that's not who you are. And ask Christ in you to begin to manifest through you kindness, tenderheartedness, forgiveness. Listen, you're only hurting you. You're only hurting you by hanging on to it. It's eating you up inside. The altars are going to be open. And then finally, if you're here today and you need to pray with one of our pastors about something in your job, your health, your family, you can come today and we'd be honored to pray with you and lift you to the Lord. Father, in these moments, have your way. God, would you bring conviction? Would you bring freedom? Would you bring forgiveness? Would you bring joy? And Lord, above all, may you bring life.